Thanks, Michael. Well, as Pastor Michael explained recently, there are generally two times a year when we take a break from preaching through the books of the Bible and we focus on a particular theme here at Cross Creek. Uh, still biblical exegetical sermons, or at least I hope the sermon you're about to hear is a biblical exegetical sermon, but with a month-long topical focus. In October, we focus on our Reformation heritage in some form or fashion, and in December, though it is not driven by a commitment to a lectionary or prescribed Christian calendar, along with most of the professing Christian world, we focus on Advent and Christmas. Two weeks ago, with a Thanksgiving theme in mind, I attempted to set the stage for us for Advent season, that, that time of year when we anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus at Christmas. Then last week, on the first Sunday of Advent, Pastor Michael told us, uh, took us to the writings of the Old Testament, specifically Proverbs, and reminded us that Christ is to us the wisdom of the ages. Today, we will look again at the, at the Old Testament, as Michael pointed out. This time in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, and we will see that the spirit that was to animate the Messiah was, for today's purposes, I'm calling the spirit of Christmas. That spirit is not just about our Lord's incarnation. It's not just about his nativity, though Advent and Christmas, of course, are those things. But this spirit of Christmas is kind of a package deal, if you will. It is the Son of God coming into the world, yes, but so much more. And it's more than wisdom that Michael talked about last week as well. The Spirit upon Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is that same Spirit that anointed Jesus to do the work necessary to save us. And that is the same Spirit that we can, can and should focus on this Advent season in 2023. So with that in mind, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 61. And we will read the entire chapter. This is the word of God. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful uh, headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners, foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. 
All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring of the Lord, that offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, it happens every year, doesn't it? People everywhere try to capture what is commonly called the spirit of Christmas. And what do people generally mean when they use this phrase? Well, they usually mean spending time with family and friends and, of course, giving and receiving, receiving gifts to and from those same family and friends, having lots of children around, lots of food, lots of food. Advent, Christmas, is a time of feasting. Sometimes people mean uh, stringing up the lights inside the house or outside the house, and outside the house to create this feel of this spirit of Christmas. Sometimes when people talk about the spirit of Christmas, they mean pledging money to the less fortunate, maybe a few cents in the Salvation Army kettle or serving in a soup kitchen. Or sometimes... The spirit of Christmas means something as simple as cheerily wishing complete strangers a hearty Merry Christmas. And of course, what Christmas season would not be complete without listening to and singing the Christmas songs and watching the movies that we grew up with to kind of get us in the Christmas spirit. Whether it's Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph, Miracle on 34th Street, or the Christmas song, you know, the one about roasting chestnuts over an open fire something that almost certainly none of us have ever done. But these songs and Christmas specials and Christmas movies, this is in large part how people capture the Christmas spirit, or at least attempt to do so. So whether it be the movies or the songs, everyone is trying to get in the Christmas mood, the Christmas spirit, if you will. But often when people speak or think of or even sing about the spirit of Christmas, they mean something sort of nebulous, something sort of hard to grasp. Generally, when people talk about the spirit of Christmas, they are talking about getting in the mood for the celebration. It's all about emotion, the feels of Christmas. Now, those of us who are actively engaged in the life of the church usually mean something more specifically Christian when we talk about the spirit of Christmas. We rightly focus on the wise men and the shepherds and the Christmas hymns that actually celebrate the incarnation and the birth of Jesus. We as Christians understand that the spirit of Christmas is something more than reindeer and TV Christmas specials. We understand that Advent and Christmas has primarily to do with Jesus and his incarnation. But in our text today, we see that the spirit of Christmas is even bigger than the coming of Jesus. Even bigger, if that were possible, than the incarnation. You see, Advent and Christmas also have to do with the reason 
for Christ's coming. The spirit of Christmas is not just Jesus' birth, it is his birth, but it is also his life, his death, and his resurrection. The spirit of Christmas is the whole package, as I said earlier, and this reading from Isaiah's 61st chapter captures a good part of that whole package really well. And this is the reason this text has found its way into the broader, broader Christian church's Advent and Christmas readings, which is also the way I first encountered it as an Advent text. Now, some will comment, not, if, not anyone in this room, of course, why are we using Old Testament passages for Advent and Christmas sermons? Shouldn't we be reading in Matthew and Luke and the wise men and the shepherds and the mangers during Advent season? Well, yes, we should, and we did earlier. And we are familiar with these passages of Christ's coming, his nativity, and we should read them at least once every year and every Christmas season. And there will be, of course, Advent or Christmas seasons in the future that are based on those passages. But what is also important for us as Christians to see is how Jesus, whose first coming we celebrate this time of year, is found in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And when it comes to the book of Isaiah, some people even refer to that book as the fifth gospel because it is so full of passages regarding the Messiah. Sometimes Isaiah virtually, virtually reads like a gospel of Jesus Christ, a life of Jesus. So if that is true, what does Isaiah 61 tell us about the life of Christ? Well, in this passage, we see at least three things we can learn about the Messiah. Although this, although this passage was written possibly as much as 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. We see that Jesus' ministry of preaching and healing, his mercy ministry, I'm calling it, reminds us of the spirit of Christmas. Also, we will see that the Messiah's judgment of sin points us to the spirit of Christmas. And finally, we see in this passage that the Messiah would come to build a kingdom that will stand forever. This is also the spirit of Christmas. But before we examine these points in detail in Isaiah 61, let's revisit our gospel reading today, Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. And if you have a Bible, you may want to turn to that. In that passage that Luke can pass is just after the account of the birth of Jesus and his presentation in the temple, the announcement of his coming and his baptism by John the Baptist and his temptation at the hands of the devil in the wilderness, Jesus comes on the scene in a synagogue in Nazareth. We read this earlier, as I said. Jesus walks into the synagogue, reads Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, and then sits down and says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus, the Lord Jesus himself, taught that this passage, Isaiah 61, not just those two verses, but really the entire chapter, is about him. So let's look at those first two verses. We read that Isaiah was anointed to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from darkness uh, the, the blind and the prisoner. Isaiah uses what for us is beautiful imagery there, doesn't he? But the Jews were in captivity in Babylon when this passage was first written, so these wonderful promises are for men and women, boys and girls, 
who were slaves in a foreign land. In verse 2, we read that this announcement of good news is called the year of the Lord's favor. This is a direct reference to the year of Jubilee found in Leviticus chapter 25, the year when God graciously provided for slaves to be freed and debts to be canceled in the nation of Israel. So verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 61 speak of freedom. They speak of the light the Messiah would bring. They speak of mending broken hearts. They are great and precious promises for the people of God 2,700 years ago. And they are great and precious promises now to those who would try to understand the spirit of Christmas. Now, back to the, uh, back to the, the um, Jubilee. From a business standpoint... It's really bad economics to just forgive debts and let slaves go free for no reason other than it's a particular year on the calendar. But God reminds his people here that there would be a day when sins would be forgiven simply because he declares it so. He he reminds his people of his mercy and his goodness. When God came to earth in the person of Jesus, history changed in such a way that even our calendar revolves around this coming. And since the coming of Jesus Christ to earth, really every year is Jubilee. Every time someone repents of their sins and trusts in the Savior, that person's history is changed and their debt is canceled and they are set free from the misery of bondage to sin. Here in Isaiah, we see it prophesied that there will come a day when those who trust in God and his Messiah will owe him nothing other than worship. In Christ, our debt is canceled. And we are set free from sin and death, and our lives are broken down into B.C. and A.D. Jesus is our jubilee. He is the one that came to set this captive free and cancel a debt that could never be repaid. He is the one who came to give sight to the blind. But you may say, I'm not a slave. You might say, I have 20-20 vision. I don't need Jesus to give me sight, as he did in the first century. And that may be true. You're not poor. You're not a slave. You're not in chains in a dark dungeon. But we all need to be reminded that apart from the light of the gospel, we are indeed enslaved to sin in our spirits. We need to know that apart from the redeeming grace of Jesus, We are spiritually blind. Apart from the Lord's favor, our souls are impoverished and enslaved, and we owe an immeasurable debt to God because of our sinful rebellion against him and his law. But in the gospel, in the good news that Jesus comes to proclaim, we are set free, our sins are forgiven, our debt is canceled. Those of us who are enslaved and in darkness are brought into the light of the kingdom of Son of God. We go from being paupers and poor beggars and even slaves to princes and friends of the King of Kings. This is the good news that Jesus came to proclaim and fulfill in Isaiah. This is the good news that Isaiah prophesied. And it is the good news that becomes reality whenever a lost, poor, blind, and imprisoned sinner repents 
and puts his or her trust in their Savior. Jesus declares to us in Luke 2 and in Isaiah 61 that this is the year of his favor. This is the spirit of Christmas. The spirit that says the debts will be canceled, the chains will be lifted, and the blind will be given sight. The spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus, and he reminds us that his mercy ministry pictures for us his grace. It pictures for us the grace that he came to bring to you and to me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus, and that Spirit is, a part of, is, is part of what we celebrate at Advent and Christmas. It is the Spirit that sets us free from slavery and blindness. It is the Spirit of God's favor. So we see in Isaiah 61 that Jesus comes to declare favor, to, be, to bring grace, but he also comes in judgment. One of the things that is important to point out when we look at Old Testament prophecies of Jesus is that fulfilling one or two uh, verses, he also fulfills the entire passage. And that's particularly true here. Even though Luke omits the prophet's mention of God's vengeance on his enemies, that does not mean that Jesus does not, uh, is not a Messiah that comes to bring judgment. Looking back at the second part of verse 2 in Isaiah 61, we see it. Messiah will come to proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. So there is comfort, but before comfort comes judgment, vengeance. We know that the Lord's, it is the Lord's job to bring vengeance. Deuteronomy 32 tells us, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. So we see not just favor in verse 2, not just comfort, but wrath, vengeance, judgment. And these things are also fulfilled in Jesus, our Messiah. The original hearers of this prophecy, Jews in exile, would come to see Israel's enemies crushed. But a greater enemy would eventually be crushed for you and for me at the cross of our Lord Jesus. Jesus took the wrath of God for you and for me, so we wouldn't have to. He took the punishment that we deserve so that the vengeance of our God would not have to be taken out on us, the people of God. We must never forget that our debts are canceled and we are free in Christ, but, we, but also that we are free because of what Christ has done. He has taken the anger of God at sin for us. Jesus would be punished for lost sinners. And this is something that most don't think about when they consider the spirit of Christmas, is it? But it is part of the spirit of Christmas as much as the Lord's favor. The same spirit that was upon Jesus to bring sight to the blind and set the captives free is the same spirit that was upon Jesus that, that executes judgment on God's enemies. And of course, the greatest enemy is, of us is sin death, and the devil. Jesus judges those things in his person as much as he brings favor. In fact, the, the Messiah must bring judge, judgment in order to bring favor to us. And what is the result of this judgment? Verse 3, God grants to those who mourn to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes 
the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. Oaks of righteousness. What beautiful imagery. Our gladness and our praise result from the Messiah's judgment. His judgment on sin, or or the Father's judgment on the Messiah on, on behalf of our sin. His judgment of death and the devil. And we become mighty oaks. Not because of anything we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. The imagery of oaks of righteousness reminds us of the first song. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In Christ, we are established like an oak by a stream with an unlimited supply of water and food. We shall not be moved, not because we in ourselves are strong and steady, but because our Lord has established us by streams of living water and will produce fruit in us that glorifies our Heavenly Father. And this is all possible because Christ has judged and will judge our enemies, and Christ has judged our sin. Those of us who trust in Christ are oaks of righteousness, receiving God's favor. And it is because of our God is a God who brings freedom, but who also brings judgment. This is a part of the Christmas spirit. Most people don't like it, but it's part of that package deal that I discussed earlier. I also mentioned the Christmas movies that we watch to get into the Christmas spirit. Elf is one of those movies, and it's fun. But there's another movie in which Will Ferrell stars where he insists on praying to the baby Jesus, the infant Jesus, not the grown-up Jesus, but the sweet little baby Jesus. And that's the kind of attitude that many of us have, or many people have regarding the spirit of Christmas, that as long as we can keep the Messiah in a manger, we can avoid the whole vengeance thing. We can think of Jesus as a baby born in a stable. But certainly in Isaiah 61, Jesus, our Messiah, also brings judgment on our enemies. Remember, it's a package deal. Jesus does and will judge sin. And in a beautiful juxtaposition, Jesus judged our sin at the cross. He brings favor and beauty, and he brings vengeance. We see that the spirit of Christmas is favor. It is comfort to those who mourn, but it is also judgment. One of the things we need today in the world is certainty. Certainty that our future hope is secure. Certainty that God is in control of his creation and that he will overcome sin and death for his people. And among among all the things we can learn from this passage today, I think that the one that is most significant is the certainty that God will accomplish all that he has said he will accomplish through Jesus, the Messiah. I mentioned that this passage was written 700 years or so before the coming of Jesus. Jesus. 
And of course, 2,000 years of church history has unfolded since Christ came as, as Jesus builds his church throughout the earth. And one of the features of this passage that we see over and over among the declarations of God's favor and God's judgment through Christ is the certainty of it all. The certainty that God has accomplished redemption through Jesus, yes, but also the certainty that he will continue to build a kingdom that will never spoil or fade. Let's walk through these verses so we can see it together. Verse 4. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. Verse 5. Strangers shall stand and tend. Verse 6. You shall be called priests of the Lord. Verse 7. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. Wow, what a great promise that is. Double portion, eternal joy. Verse 8, I, the Lord, will make an everlasting covenant with them. And all this builds verse after verse until it crescendos in verse 11. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before the nations. Do you see it? There is this this momentum of God building this kingdom, and it builds and builds until all the nations will be blessed by God's Messiah. There is a certainty here that God will set all things right, and we need to hear this in our day, just as the original hearers of this needed to hear it in theirs. Just as the people in that synagogue needed to hear it when Jesus read this passage and declared certainly that he was fulfilling and would fulfill this prophecy. This is the certainty of redemption. It is the clear and certain word that we need when we live in a world of quiet desperation, as Henry David Thoreau observed. And we see it here, and it is based on the declaration by the prophet Isaiah that first, the Messiah will bring favor to his people, and next, he will bring judgment to his enemies. It is then that he will build his kingdom. They shall, they shall, They shall, and then he transitions to, I will, I will, I will. The Lord declares this. We need to know in no uncertain terms that there is a God who is redeeming his people and redeeming the world by building a kingdom through his Messiah. And that is, I believe, what this passage reminds us. This is the spirit of Christmas. The spirit of God declaring to us that Jesus will redeem us, and that he will build his church. This is what we celebrate at Advent and Christmas, just as much as as we remember the birth of Jesus and the shepherds and the angels and the wise men and Herod. When Jesus, our Messiah, breaks into the world, and when 30 years later he declares that he has fulfilled the prophecies of Isaiah, he is reminding us of the certainty of the redemption he came to bring. A redemption of God's grace and favor to those who trust in him. A redemption whereby our enemies are judged and perhaps most importantly our enemy of sin, death, and the devil. And a redemption that is sure because God decreed it to happen before the foundation of the world. He declared it 2,700 years ago. 
He declared it 2,000 years ago at the birth of Jesus. And he declared it 30 years after that through the words of Jesus himself, saying that this prophecy, Isaiah 61, is fulfilled in him. We can know it to be true because God has said it through his prophet, and he has said it through his final prophet, Jesus. This Advent, we all need to know that the spirit of Christmas is none other than Jesus. The movies, the music, the lights, the garland, and the wreaths, those things may get us into the spirit of Christmas. But ultimately, the spirit of Christmas is the Holy Spirit anointing our Lord to certainly accomplish our salvation. This morning, I spoke with the middle schoolers in Sunday school about the peace that Jesus brings us at Advent and at Christmas. Peace. And while this message is not explicitly about peace, it is a reminder to us, isn't it, that Jesus came to make peace with God the Father for us. And we need to know that, don't we? We live in a world where there is war all around. In Eastern Europe, in the Middle East, there is conflict in this very church, something I wish I didn't have to think about this time of year, but nevertheless, it is true. And there is conflict for many of us in our very own souls, struggles in our personal relationships, our finances, and we ourselves sometimes struggle with sin. But the good news is we have peace. In Jesus, we have peace. I say again, in Jesus, we have peace. So I urge you to cling to that promise this morning as a promise of the true spirit of Christmas. Jesus brings grace and favor to all who call upon him in repentance and faith. Jesus brings judgment to our enemies and on our sin. And Jesus is bringing an eternal, building an eternal kingdom in which there will be eternal peace. I, the Lord, will make an everlasting covenant with them. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before the nations. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for reminding us that your Son, our Savior, our Christ, our Redeemer Jesus, came to give us favor, to offer us favor, to offer us peace, but also to crush our greatest enemy, sin, death, and the devil. And we thank you that these things are certain not because we are necessarily believing hard enough, not because we are doing good things to earn this favor that you have offered, but because you have declared it, and that by faith we can hold on to that promise. We thank you for that, the promise of the Spirit of Christmas this Advent season. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.